please to open up a copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 2 in the New Testament. We're studying this gospel, this, this record that Matthew has for us, inspired of God. There are four major paragraphs, four major sections that surround the, the coming and the nativity scene in Bethlehem. And uh, we're dealing uh, with a word here of, of prophecy. There are actually multiple prophecies, words, hints, forward-looking indicators of a future and a reality. So it's Matthew chapter 2. In the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 808. Many people in the ancient Near East, and, uh, and we, as the people of God looking back, they were looking forward. We're both looking back, and we are looking forward uh, to the fulfillment of Scripture, prophecy, words of hope on the horizon. Here is one of them that I'm going to read for us before we look at our text in Matthew. And that is Amos chapter 8. Verse 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine, this is a unique famine, not a famine of bread, nor of a thirst for water, but a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord but they shall not find it. My, my favorite uh, Scottish preacher, Sinclair Ferguson, says this. Uh, this is a picture, in commenting on Amos 8, it is a picture of those who reject God, but who are driven to seek for what only God can provide. Think about that. A famine of the hearing of the word of God, God speaking and communicating, which he has to us in Scripture. When people no longer have that, but they long for what only God can give. This is what he writes. When truth is rejected for lies, we cannot find contentment. Now, I don't know if you might agree with me, but... It almost seems as if he's describing Amos, inspired of God, this word for us is describing our very context, our time in our own culture. I mean, honestly, think about it. We are searching, uh, but we don't seem to be discovering. Honestly, contemplate this. Has there ever been a group of humans so prosperous and yet so at times, restless. Think about it. There's never been a culture so full of food and knowledge and opportunity and resources, entertainment, comforts, so on and so forth and so forth, yet so lacking in the very precious things like wisdom and contentment. Last week, Pastor Murdy uh, did a wonderful job. I had a chance to listen to his sermon uh, extrapolating some principles, some new insights on lessons from the Magi who had traveled over a thousand miles to greet this baby born king. They came. Why did they come? They said they wanted to worship God. Herod said, yeah, I want to, too. <laughs> Not really. He wanted to find out where this threat of a future king would be. They wanted to worship him. Let me tell you something. Uh, there is always a, a bit of danger that accompanies people who want to worship children. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an adoring uh, aunt or uncle, children are not to be worshipped unless you have a baby Jesus. Things go well. King Herod, like I said, he, he doesn't have anything. Presumably they make a beeline, uh, the, the, the Magi, because they are warned, as we'll read here in a second, to head back, King Herod, this 
This puppet king for the Jews who work really for the Romans was ultimately going to kill Jesus. That's his desire. Jesus, though, needs to be worshipped and Jesus needs to be preserved. So if you would stand with me as we read this portion together. Matthew 2, beginning verse 13. I'll focus on 13, but I'm going to read beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And going into the house, the Magi, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they did what? They fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod the king, they departed to their own country by way by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and says, said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed the male, excuse me, all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region that were two years old and under, according to the time that they had ascertained from the wise men. Then was filled with what was when it was fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in the place of his father Herod, He was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that they had that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help briefly. Lord, simply would you grant us both a faith and focus? Uh, Would you help me and my thinking? And speaking, would you help all of us in our listening that Jesus might shine brighter? In his name we ask, amen. What makes you tired physically? What makes you tired physically? This is going to be, there are some engaging points here, especially young people. Thanks for being in here with us. I might even have a surprise for you, a quiz. But here's a simple question. It's got a simple answer. I mean, we all know what makes us tired Physically, although at different ages and stages of life, that changes, right? There was a time that, you know, nothing seemed to make me tired, Uh, just like nothing used to make me dizzy. You know, now I'm getting closer to 50 and I just watch children and I get tired and I just watch children go swinging round and round and I get dizzy. You know how it is, right? It's obvious at different stages. What is it that makes you tired? Some of you are tired because you have small children. God bless you. It is it is this challenging. But there is another form of tiredness and emotional exhaustion and weariness and the reasons for that are different right sometimes we find ourselves young people imagine this on the horizon perhaps whether you're a kid or a parent or a grandparent or you're old or young 
doesn't matter. There is a, a, a weariness that is emotional that sometimes comes when there's worrying and weeping and waiting. And I could go on and on. Some of you know it very well. Some of you know it pretty well and you wear it pretty well. Some of you, I, I know your story. I know your struggle physically and emotionally. And you wear it well. And I admire it. I, I do. I, I, I thank God for your faithfulness. And I pray for you, young parents, others who are at a different season of life that are grieving and mourning different things. And it makes you emotionally weary. Thank you for being faithful. As your pastor, I pray for you and I'm grateful for your example. There are three things promised here for weariness in God's people. They don't stand right out, but there are three very clear promises, three prophecies that are promises foretold that are fulfilled in this passage. Three promises that came with the arrival of the incarnation of Jesus God made man, this baby, the eternal son of God, took on flesh, human smallness and human suffering. And then he fulfills different things. Three are listed here by Matthew. One is a new exodus. I have them in the order of service. One is a new exodus. The other is a new covenant. And then lastly, we have a new king and kingdom. Quickly. A new exodus. God reveals a sovereign protection plan to Joseph via these angels, here you are to escape by night quickly to neighboring Egypt. That didn't, you know, that, that actually didn't make, uh, uh, actually did make a decent amount of sense because it was only about 100 yards, 100 miles to the border, but then several more into civilization. There were already Jews who were still settled and had settled uh, in Egypt uh, during this time. So there would have been people that they could have, you know, disappeared into and uh, escaped part of the threat. It was natural. Praise God, though. It was supernatural that just days before, because it is verse 13 says, now when they had departed, meaning the Magi who had brought these expensive gifts, remember, they had resources. You know, Joseph is, is uh, the, 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 the father who's trying to provide for his family. And God says, I got you. And so he has these treasures. He can live in Egypt just fine for a season while they are in hiding and preparing. Praise God. There was another Hebrew family. Uh, there was another Joseph in that, that the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who did head down into Egypt to save God's people. Some of you might remember way back in the book of Genesis. And Joseph was able to oh, go there and find favor with Pharaoh and provide for his people. And they, 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 they escaped to Egypt to be saved and to be spared. But of course, they eventually ended up in what? I told you this is going to be interactive. The, the, the Israelites ended up in Egypt and it was, a, it was not a party. After a while, it became slavery. They were in bondage. They were there. And why do we need an exodus? Why did God appoint Moses to, to guide his people and lead them out? Because he wanted to deliver them. And he had every power and capability to do that very thing. So God sent ten what? To, 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 to engage and to, to startle Pharaoh. You must let my people go. Moses will lead them out. And there will be plagues that will come. And what are those plagues? Well, I've got some incentives if you children are listening. Does anyone recall what one of those ten plagues might be? I see a hand raised. Graham, 
Would you like to tell us what was one of those plagues? There were gnats. There were bugs. Thank you. This is, this is going to be for you. I don't want you to be tempted to eat it just now. I'll put it right here. This is Graham's, okay? Who else can tell us what was another one of the plagues? Riley May, please tell us what was one of the plagues that God sent. Pardon me? Frogs? Did you say frogs? You're exactly right. God sent down frogs to send a message to Pharaoh. I'm the sovereign. Of course, he sent some magicians. There were other some black magic guys who came up with frogs, too. What else? I see some hands over here. Katie. The water was turned into, the river was turned into blood. Very good. Margaret, would you please tell us what was one of the other plagues? The livestock, that's right. Some of their cattle and livestock died. Very good. All right, I've got two more. We've got some lessons. We've already got four of them named. Esther, please tell us. Pardon me? Flies. Flies came, that's right. That's right, we've got that one down too. So this is yours. All right, one last one. What was the last one? I mean, Salote. Can you tell us one of them? Hail. Hail, very good. You guys are impressing all of us. Good job. What was the last? What was the very last plague that God sent to free his people up, to get Pharaoh's attention, the very last one? Together, what was it? Death. That the, 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 the child, the children of, of the Egyptians would, would die. But the children of the Hebrews did not. Why? Because there was a Passover. There was a land, there was blood over the doorpost and they were saved. This is the voice of prophecy promising here that out of, this is a quote from Hosea, the prophet of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. That's a quote. And that's actually referring to not his, his son Jesus directly, but initially the people of God. Israel is known as his son at times. The, the son of God, the, the people of God are known as his son. His, he cares for them. And of course, Jesus now is... That they, there was Jacob whose name was turned to, to Israel, the people of God. But there is a new Israel. There is a new Jacob, a new Israel. There is a new and better Moses who is a, a, a greater prophet who leads his people out of ex, in, into Exodus and out of bondage. And that is Jesus. But Jesus does it uniquely because Jesus is our Exodus. He, by means of his own death, has caused us to experience life. He is the Passover lamb. Matthew wants us to see something that was not part two boring, but the fulfillment of part one. His blood, the, the Passover lamb, gives us liberation, not only from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And we know that people can be enslaved. We know this. And you, you, you may immediately have your mind shift to uh, gambling addiction or drug addiction. But I'm telling you, people get enslaved. We all have experienced it firsthand. The way that our desires become demands. And we become enslaved at times. We become enslaved with things like the love of money and the love of pleasure. We become enslaved with the love of people's praises the affections of another. We become enslaved with things surrounding anxiety and, and, and anger known as bitterness and ambition. But if we are united to Christ, we can be forgiven and set free. Jesus is the new, this is another promise. 
Jesus, the new Exodus, is ours. Matthew would have us see this. What's another thing that is a promise fulfilled? That there is a new covenant. We see this uh, in verse 17 and 18. But again, look at our text in verse 16 of chapter 2. What does it say there? Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Now, there, there are different Herods mentioned, three in particular in Scripture, uh, that were, were, were different and different people encountered them, right? Jesus, uh, as a newborn, encounters this Herod. There's another Herod that John the Baptist encounters uh, in a really bad way. And then there's another one that, uh, that later down the road we know that Paul has to face. But what we're seeing here is a, is a particular king who is, uh, is evil, uh, extra biblical sources uh, like the historian Josephus confirm to us that, that indeed Herod was a, a brutal tyrant uh, known for extreme violence. In fact, he killed his favorite wife. He killed two of his own sons. He, at the, near the end of his life, uh, upwards of 100 members of his own senate just because he felt threatened. And he was full of himself and he had the power, but he was paranoid. And that scene where he goes and decides, we're going to take out, just to destroy, or so he thinks, the threat of any king coming out of the city of David, Bethlehem. I'll take care of this. Every child is dead. Well, scholars, you know, they look back and say there was X amount of families probably in the small city of Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem. But in that particular region, that would have meant probably upwards of, of 20, 20 young boys who were killed because of his rage and his Jealousy. Herod didn't care much about truth or mercy or justice. He cared about his own personal joy. He hates the thought that he's just renting the throne. He wants the guy who owns it. He wants to be the owner. Who owns the throne? The eternal throne. Well, it's a shoot from the stump of... Thank you. I don't have any more candy canes, but good job. A shoot from the stump of Jesse, who would be a son of David, who would be from this very lineage. And of course, it made sense for him to be born as he was in God's sovereign plan in that royal city of Bethlehem, which normally this time of year has parades marching through and great celebrations. There's not that many Christians uh, uh, you know, relatively percentage wise, but the, the few were there and others who gather from around the world as pilgrims and news stations and other people, lights and festivals and celebrations. It's basically nothing right now in the historic city of Bethlehem. It's very modest and people are obviously having to live in fear. In wreckage. There is deep grief then there's deep grief now. And to capture the nature of that morning, Matthew quotes from the prophet Jeremiah. He says it's like Rachel, representative of, of God's people here, mourning. She's mourning so bad. She's grieving and weeping so loud that she cannot seem to be comforted. It's, it's horrible. Brokenhearted people. Rachel, that's a quote from the prophet Jeremiah when, when she was mourning and, and, and weeping because the people of God had been carried away. There's always been horrible kings trying to, uh, rulers trying to take out God's people. And at this, at this time, it was Nebuchadnezzar. And they were taken away into a Babylonian exile. And, and Rachel there was just weeping as people departed this city facing exile and suffering and death. Brokenhearted people. Well, this doesn't sound very hopeful. I thought this was supposed to be promises for weary people. But it's real. 
right? It's not, it's not fake. It's not sentimental. It's not something that substances and relationships and, and, and cheer of, of various forms can eradicate. We're talking about a deeper problem here. But God does go on. It doesn't end there. Jeremiah 31, which he's quoting from here, it actually goes on to say that God does not forget his covenant promise. Jeremiah 31 describes that there will be a time that comes ultimately where God turns mourning into, not, not, not mourning into evening, but mourning, weeping into joy. Only he could do that. Looking forward to a new covenant. He says in uh, Jeremiah 31, it'll be so great and glorious, we won't even have to tell our neighbors about who God is. We'll all know and we'll all experience that freedom, those who are united to Christ, because it takes the mediator of a new covenant. A new covenant is promised in Jeremiah 31. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it, is, it is yet to come in its fullness. It's arrived in partiality. It, it's inaugurated. It's begun. But it's not consummated. When Jesus returns, the mediator of that new covenant, we have a new exodus, a new covenant, and we have a new king. So here's our last and third promise in the text. He said it three times. It's easy. How do, you pull, how do you come up with an outline and a sermon text? Well, you read it and you see things that are repetitive. Fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. The third time that fulfilled is mentioned is in verse 23. So look there. Here's our last promise, a new kingdom. Verse 23 says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets, that it might be fulfilled. I think you can appreciate that up until this point, by the way, the spotlight has largely been on Joseph. Joseph is the one who's hearing from angels. Joseph is the one who's taking ownership and leadership. Joseph obviously is to be commended. Yes, he is the, he, yes he's the only father who ever had a child who was born perfect, truly above average. I know all of you think that of your children. But, uh, but he was a perfect baby. But he still had to have his diapers changed. And we sang earlier that he wept. He, he was a crying baby. So Joseph had to get up in the middle of the night as well. He's physically tired. You, you can imagine that, uh, that Joseph was also emotionally exhausted having to live in, in exile, provide for his family. But he's showing humility and hope. God blesses him with direction. God blesses him with relief because he gets the word, Herod, the threat is gone. He's dead. Verse 20 and verse 21 in our text says that he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And then he has a further insight of wisdom in verse 22 that Archelaus is still in power. So he's directed to go to Galilee, north of Jerusalem, far, much farther north, uh, around, around the Sea of Kinneret. So in Galilee, in this, this region that is, uh, you know, is far more rural, uh, way far away from Jerusalem or Bethlehem, there is to be this promise fulfilled. And that promise was that he would be, uh, a, a, you know, a Nazarene. Where is that in, in Scripture? The earlier one was Hosea. The second one was in Jeremiah. And the third one is in where? Nowhere. There's no scholars can't find where this was promised uh, in the Old Testament. So there you go. How, how is this then fulfilled? How is this a prophetic word? Where, where is it mentioned in the Hebrew Bible the, amongst the minor and major prophets? Well, I'll come to that in a second, except I just think that what's being said is the prophets spoke of him being born in a no-name town. 
This is the, uh, this is the equivalent of saying, if you say someone is, someone's from Galilee and Nazareth, that's like saying the boondocks, right? The boonies, the woods, the backwoods, where I'm from down south, we'll say, y'all are from the sticks. Y'all from like way out. And some little, there's probably a town in the Berkshires, y'all are from the sticks. You have never, nobody's ever heard of it. And it's only got about, you know, 15 people live there. So I think that what is in essence fulfilled is that he would be from some no-name, obscured uh, town, unexpected, un, 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 uh, you know, even, even, in the, even in the beginning of, of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Philip and Nathaniel are called by Jesus. And what does he say? Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, really? I thought our king would have come from the capital, from, from well, from, from Bethlehem. But he is from that place. What a prophecy and a promise fulfilled. But what was the promise? What was the prophecy? Well, I think if I were to render a guess what was fulfilled, it was read earlier in our Old Testament reading. Right? Isaiah 53 says, I'll read it again. He would, he would grow up before you as a young plant, a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should seek him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected like some some hick from the sticks. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and one from whom men hided their, face, their faces and he was despised, he was esteemed not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, spit, smitten by God and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace by his wounds on the cross future looking, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, our needs have not changed. Our, our fears, our weariness, the reason for our weariness has not changed. And our King and our Savior has come. And he is coming again, yes, so we treasure the promises both as a people looking back and also as a people looking forward. He, Christ, is our new exodus, our new covenant. He is the, and we with him, if we are united to him, we are the new Israel by faith. Today, here is the ticket. Here is the key. Here is the door. Here is the path. Repent. Repent. We're actually more like Herod than we'd like to admit, who doesn't want the rule of God in our life. We don't want God to tell us what is wise and good and well and obedient and righteous. We don't want to be. We want to love ourselves, not our neighbor as ourselves. We don't want to. We want to love our own agenda and our own interests, not the will of one who loves us and knows us so well. The king, Jesus, knows he is all of these things so that we would be forgiven if we repent of those ways and times that we still, in our unbelief, pull back or press on in our own direction. But to repent is to turn from sin and to turn toward God by faith. And when we're there, we're met with loving arms of a king. So I say, and we'll sing it here now. Oh, come. Let us adore him. But would you pray with me first? Father, we have been tired, but we're never too tired. We're never too exhausted. 
We shouldn't be to worship you and thank you as our creator. Would you let us see by faith and surrender more to the king, the son of David, in our lives, in our families, in our community, Lord, in our, in, in our decisions? Sometimes in our weariness, we, we have resisted and we have not surrendered. We've persisted at times in our own unbelief and, and our own anger. Would you let repentance begin with us and may it spread? May it, may it be pleasing to you. And Lord, where there's grief, especially around Christmas, let there be hope. And where, where there's division, let there be unity. Lord, where there's sickness, would you please bring your healing touch? And you, you know who that is and where it needs to be. There are many who are battling temporary illnesses, long-term illnesses. Bless those who are caring for aged parents. Be pleased with young moms who carry babies and young parents who are tired. Please be with our missionaries, Lord. Others who serve cross-culturally, especially we would like to lift up Colin and Zuri in West Africa. I'm sure that they miss their families. And we do pray for others who, because of imprisonment or deployment in the military, they're away from family. Would you help them, help us to see the light? And bless, Lord, I, I ask our worship later this evening for Jesus' sake and in whose name we pray. Even now, as he taught his disciples praying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand, please, as we sing together.